Hi, and welcome to episode 2 of season 2 of Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. So, today we'll be starting the season off, pretty much, by talking about Aphrodite, our first Olympian deity, the famous goddess of love. How we're going to go over it is we're going to go over her origin story, epithets, lovers and famous stories, and then her children, but we're going to go over her children and their children in way more depth in the next episode. So this will be like a part one on Aphrodite. So without further delay, let's dive right in. Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love, and she has been made equivalent to the Italic goddess Venus, which is why it's said that Aphrodite's Roman name is Venus. Um, They are worshipped slightly differently, uh, Venus being a bit more like narrow of a goddess as opposed to Aphrodite being this like expounding goddess of more than just love, but her main attribute that we're going to focus on is love. So Aphrodite's birth story is pretty interesting because unlike most gods, she actually has more than one birth story that's like really notable and something to keep in mind. So the first version we're going to talk about is really simple, really short and sweet. In the Homeric tradition, um, she's the daughter of Zeus and Dione, the Oceanid. So this is just a weird version, I would say. Um, generally, it's not the trend that people go with, but it is something to note. And when like I read the Iliad for the first time, I remember I was so puzzled when it said uh, Aphrodite was the daughter of Dione, because I was like, huh, she's not, though? Uh, so yeah. So the second version is the Hesiodic version, the more generally accepted tradition. So she was born when Cronus threw Uranus's genitals into the sea, and from the foam, which is aphros in Greek, or apros if you want to say it with like a p instead of a phi, um, that grew around it, came the goddess Aphrodite. So she was first carried to Kythera, and then to the coast of Cyp- Cyprus, apparently in April, I'm not sure how they determined this. Maybe like peak springtime is the idea, you know, and the blooming of love. And there she was welcomed by the Horai. The Horai, also known as the Seasons, are named Irene. Um, She's like the goddess of peace, eunomia, order, and dike, justice. And they were all daughters of Zeus and Themis, the tightness that is the concept of law and order. Um, just a little digression, there is a lovely painting called The Birth of Venus by Sando Botticelli that depicts the scene. Uh, in another version, though, she is said to have been received by the Graces, the daughters of Zeus and Eurynome, the Oceanid, who were named Aglaia, Euphrosyne, and Thalia. So yeah, either way, then we'll go with the Horai. They dressed her and brought her to the home of the Immortals, the Olymp- uh, which is Mount Olympus. And sometimes it's said that Eros slash Cupid actually received her there as opposed to being her son, as later myth versions will put it. Now, third and final version that we'll have to talk about. Aphrodite sometimes said by this like Lycian poet named Olin to be the daughter of Ilithea, the goddess of childbirth, who in this version is even older than Cronus, as opposed to usually she's considered the daughter of Zeus and Hera. And Eros slash Cupid is in this version also said to be Aphrodite's brother as opposed to son. So yeah, this version's a bit out there, um, not really with what the general tradition seems to go with, so it's more of like a, just note this, but don't like focus on it being the main point. With that being said, we can now move on to her epithets. Luckily, as compared to a lot of other gods, she only has a few that we need to know. 
So the first one is Cyprus or Cupris, uh, which is for being of Cyprus because she like you know floated there, and that's where one of her cult points are. Kitharea, another like she floated there in her birth, and also like another cult point. And finally, Urania. So Urania, the point of this epithet is supposed to distinguish her the love of like Aphrodite being from just a love of like where Urania is the like pure love of like the body and soul as opposed to Aphrodite Pandemos, which is like more specifically this uh, earthly love, which is more considered with lust and stuff. So yeah, that's just like a little thing to do. Now we can move on to her like quote unquote life story and just all her lovers and all these different little defining stories of who Aphrodite is. So somehow she ends up marrying Hephaestus, the god of fire in the forge, child of either just Hera or Zeus and Hera, who was considered super ugly. Seemingly, this was willed by Zeus, though, so that may explain why that happened. Nonetheless, she carried out an affair with Ares, the god of war, and also a son of Zeus and Hera. So, while carrying out this affair, Hephaestus became aware and decided to trap them to make fun of them and punish them for the affair. So, he designed a magic net that only he could handle and laid it over the bed upon which the affair was carried out. Then, as per usual when he left Olympus, Aphrodite and Ares met in the bed, and Helios let him, Helios being the sun god, let him know when the affair was taking place, and he came back and trapped them with his net, and then summoned all of the gods to ridicule them. Only at Poseidon's behest did Hephaestus actually end up releasing them, and Aphrodite fled to Cyprus. Apparently, Aphrodite and Ares had actually had a watchman in case this exact instance happened, but because of this ploy, the watchman Electrion could not warn them, and he got turned into a rooster by Ares. Nonetheless, the affair was quite productive in respect to children. Aphrodite bore to Ares, Eros slash Cupid, Deimos, which is like terror, Phobos, which is like fear, and Harmonia, a mortal who later married Cadmus, son of Agenor and Telephassa, and founder of Thebes. Though her affair with Ares was merely one of many with the immortals, it was pretty much the most significant one. But nonetheless, we'll detail some other just so you get to know them. So with Hermes, Hermes desperately wanted to be with Aphrodite to the point that Zeus felt so bad for him, he had his eagle snatch away a sandal of hers which was given to Hermes. Then she agreed to sleep with him to get it back and bore Hermaphroditus. Next, we have Poseidon. Poseidon may have fathered Rhodey upon Aphrodite, the eponym of Rhodes, as well as Eryx, the Sicilian king, whom usually is said to be the son of Butes, the Argonaut, and son of Teleon slash Poseidon Zeuxippi. Um, but the reason that Poseidon's even like postulated as a possibility is because uh, some people think this is out of thanks for uh, getting Hephaestus to unchain Aphrodite and Ares that Aphrodite laid with Poseidon. Finally, in regard to immortals, we have Dionysus. She's said to have kids named Priapus, a Phrygian fertility god that we will talk about in the next episode, and Hymen, the god of marriage ceremonies and the marriage song. No one's really sure about how Dionysus and Aphrodite ended up getting together, but they just know that it did, or at least like they claim that it did. Um, so yeah, that's like more of like a weird one. Same with Poseidon. Like these are these last two were a bit odd compared to like Hermes being a more staple setup but she's also had an affair with a mortal so she is not completely set off to the immortal realm 
So having boasted of her ability uh, to make all the gods fall in love and having mocked them all for falling in love with mortals, Zeus had had enough and had her fall in love with Anchises, the son of Capus, who's the son of Asarachus and Hieronymi, and Themisty. She got him uh, to sleep with her by convincing him that she was not a goddess and was actually the daughter of King Otreus. The reason she had to do this is because Anchises was very fearful of how stories have gone in the past of mortals sleeping with immortals and then getting a punishment out of it in the end and it not going well. Eventually, though, she was exposed as a goddess and told him not to mention it because this would not end well for him and rather just a claim that like some nymph had uh, slept with him and borne him these children. But regardless, he boasted of it and Zeus struck him with a lightning bolt, pretty much disabling his ability to walk for life. So, from this union, uh, Aphrodite bore to him Aeneas, the famous ancestor of the Romans, and Lyrus slash Lyrnus, pretty much a rando, just like a, whoa, look, Aeneas does have a brother that's just not really relevant at all. Now, with all those kids established, um, just because we would not have the time or the means to cover them entirely within this episode, uh, without it going very long... I'm going to move on just to all the important stories she was involved in, and we will talk about all her kids in the next like supplementary episode, or just really just part two of this one. So, we first have Adonis. So, how we get to Adonis actually is pretty complicated. So, the story starts off further back in the line of Adonis, where the daughters of King Cineros by Mitharme, this daughter of Pygmalion and Galatea, uh, Cineros possibly being a son of Pygmalion and Galatea, or of Sandocus and Farnake, or of Apollo and Paphos, uh, the daughter of Pygmalion and Galatea. Um, he was said to be the first king of Cyprus and introduced the cult of Aphrodite to Cyprus. He was also said to have invented bronze and civilization in Cyprus. So somehow, the daughters of Cineros managed to anger Aphrodite. And so she made the three, or three of them, I should say, or Cydice, Laugore, and Brasea, or Brysia, to lie with strangers, and they pretty much just ended up ending their days far away in Egypt. So they just kind of went off and didn't become important, I guess. But the fourth daughter, Mira, or Smyrna, depending on your version, uh, she especially hated, because Mitharme had boasted that Mira was more beautiful than Aphrodite. And just as like an FYI, that never goes well. Like, just never um don't boast you are prettier or more or better than the gods just accept that you are mortal and you will be saved so aphrodite caused mira slash smyrna to fall in love with her father theos slash cineros just depends on your version and with the help of her nurse hippolyta she managed to lay with him for 12 days and fearful of him killing her she was turned into a mere tree from which adonis was born then Aphrodite fell in love with the baby and put him in a chest and sent him to Persephone, daughter of Zeus and Demeter, to be raised. Then, Persephone became enamored with the boy and refused to send him back. Zeus, being as wise as he is, decided to avoid being the arbiter of this conflict and had Calliope, the muse of epic poetry and daughter of Zeus and Demosthene, the tightness of like memory, to be the judge of what would happen to Adonis. So Calliope very fairly decreed for both of the goddesses that Adonis would spend part of his time with each goddess and part of his time however he wished. 
For this, Aphrodite caused the death of Calliope's famous son Orpheus, the musician later. So, anyways, Adonis ends up spending pretty much all of his free time and all of the time with Aphrodite with Aphrodite. So, one day, the young lad went hunting for a boar and decided to hunt it even though it decided to stand its ground and he had been warned in the past if a boar were to stand its ground he would get killed and he got completely dumpstered and torn to pieces. And it's thought to actually be Ares because Ares was jealous of Aphrodite falling in love with Adonis. And from Adonis's blood sprung the anemone, a famous plant for how hard it is to say. And the significance of the anemone is just the color. It's very, it's like a deep red. So it's thought to be like kind of like the color of blood. So yeah, that is the entire Adonis story. It is pretty complicated, but it is also a really famous story in mythology to know. Um, and yeah, you can see that like within just this story, the how punishing a mortal is by causing incest to take place. But for an immortal, there's no problem there, right? Like that doesn't seem to be much of a punishment that just gets more or less avoided as time goes on and the generation of man expands and becomes a wider breath. Anywho, next we have Bootes. So she saved this son of Teleon slash Poseidon Zixippi, who was swimming towards the Sirens, and she plucked him out of the sea and brought him to Lilibium and possibly bore by him Eryx, the Sicilian king. Next, we have Circe. So Circe's story is pretty short and sweet. Uh, Aphrodite allegedly just caused her to be spurned by Odysseus, the son of Laertes and Anticlea, so that's why Odysseus didn't really uh, stay with her. Uh, he just ignored her for the whole year, allegedly, although honestly probably didn't, uh, but this is just one version of the story. Next, we have Cleo, um, the muse of history. So Aphrodite made her fall in love with a mortal Pyrrhus to bear Hyacinthus, who died tragically. We already talked about Hyacinthus' story before, so I won't reiterate it. But that is also something Aphrodite does is she causes people to fall in love and bear children who will get punished instead of the person directly, which is a punishment in and of its own. Then Eos, we already discussed this, um, but in like a previous episode, but she caused Eos to fall in love with so many mortals, which in of itself is a punishment because in one episode that we don't really ever see in mythology, but only hear of, Eos and Ares had actually carried on an affair, and this was her return punishment. Next, we have Glaucus, the son of Sisyphus and Merope, and father of Bellerophon by Euronome. And he was said to have been eaten by his mare. So you may remember that I talked about this. He lost a chariot race, and the mares that he had raised on, like, human flesh, he had caused, uh, had gone mad and ate him because he lost, or eaten him. And this version, though, Aphrodite didn't like how the mares were not allowed to breed, like to like, yeah, breed and produce children. So instead of them going mad after the chariot race, uh, she caused them to eat him because of that. So that's like another thing is Aphrodite sometimes does not like people being restricted from uh, engaging in love and whatever it may be. So she punishes them for that. Next, we have Helios. So she, for exposing uh, Aphrodite and Ares, caused him to fall in love with Leucothoe, Leucothoe, okay, however you want to pronounce it, um, which we already talked about in the Helios episode. Uh, it's pretty tragic. She just ends up dying, though, is the big thing. So that's another classic thing, is she causes people to die a lot. 
Next, we have Hippomenes slash Melanion. Depending on the name, he's either the son of Megarius, king of Onchestus, or son of Amphidamas, son of Lycurgus, king of Arcadia. Either way, he needed help in beating Atalanta in a foot race. Atalanta is this daughter of Yasus and Clymene, daughter of Minyas, or she's a daughter of Scoenius, or daughter of Minalis. Uh, the thing with Atalanta was is that she was this super swift huntress who had been suckled by a bear and raised by shepherds, and Yasus, Scoenius, or Minalis, whichever of the three, wanted to preserve her virginity and decided the only suitor who would be worth it is someone who could beat her in a foot race. So what he'd have them do is she would run in armor, they would run nude, and if they didn't win, they would get killed. So, Hippomenes slash Melanion, at the grove of Tamasa sacred to Aphrodite, prayed to her, and she gave him three golden apples to distract her with, her being Atalanta, as she ran. Still, he barely beat her in this race, and then, taken by, like, passion for love, they went together in a temple of Sibley or Zeus Victor, and, like, had sex. And then... They were turned into lions who draw Sibley's chariots, which made Aphrodite really happy because Hippomenes had neglected to honor her enough for her for his, her help and his victory, and lions cannot mate as lions don't mate, so this was like double punishment. So yeah, Aphrodite can do it in some pretty uh, twisted ways and also like really convoluted paths that eventually get to like, oh, boom, look, uh, you got punished for not honoring me properly which tends to be the case is just mortals tend to forget to honor people properly and it always goes poorly for them then we have hippolytus hippolytus was the son of theseus and hippolyta slash antiope the amazonian queen he was a follower of artemis and therefore ignored aphrodite in her worship as all followers of artemis would naturally do as they're all virgin hunters aphrodite then decided that that was not cool and caused his stepmom stepmom phydra daughter of Minos and Pasiphae, to fall in love with him, but he naturally rejected her, so she decided, well, I'm going to kill myself, and left a letter for Theseus, son of Aegeus and Aethra, claiming that Hippolytus had assaulted her. This resulted in Theseus, in Theseus banishing Hippolytus, because this is such an egregious act that he would attack his own stepmom. So, while Hippolytus was riding his horses by the shore, Theseus prayed to Poseidon to kill Hippolytus, and a sea monster came out of the water, or a bull in some versions, and Hippolytus's horses got scared and freaked out and dragged him to his death. Eventually, Theseus found out Phydra had lied and repented and made up with Hippolytus, who was just dead, so really achieved a lot there. Next, we have Aino. Aino is a daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia. She was the wife of Athamas and bore a son named Melikertes to him. When Athamas went mad, he was killing people, including his son Lucon, who he, taught, who he thought to be a stag. This led to Aino thinking, I need to dip, because otherwise my child and I are going to die. So she ran with her son Melikertes and jumped off a cliff into the sea to avoid murder, and Aphrodite convinced Poseidon to turn them into the sea deities Leucothea and Polymon fun little reason behind why they became the sea deities because usually you just hear they get turned into them and it's like why did they get turned into them you know like people jump into the sea but it's because aphrodite convinced poseidon to do so next we have jason so because of his patron hera aphrodite persuaded eros slash cupid to cause medea daughter of aetes and Aegea, to fall in love with jason to enable him to get the golden fleece so these are like the short. Some of these are like shorter and sweet stories where it's just like, 
little thing she did, um, but it had big impact almost always. It's very interesting that way, is that it always has like a big impact even no matter how small it is. Next, we have just the island of Lemnos and its people as a whole. So, the women ignored her worship, um, which is never the move, and so she made them super smelly and had them kill all their husbands. The reason she made them super smelly is that the husbands would reject them and then the women would kill them out of anger and then no one would want to uh, like sleep with the women and produce children and they're pretty much at a dead end there. But then, to please her husband Hephaestus, she made them not smelly anymore and had them produce kids with the Argonauts. So that's like a s- side story in the Argonaut story where they eventually come to the island of Lemnos and produce a bunch of kids. Next, we have the story of Hero and Leander. So, respectively, they are a beautiful maiden and a youth who lived in Cestus and Abydos, respectively, on either side of the Hellespont, both little towns. So, Aphrodite caused them to fall in love, even though Hero had vowed to go through her life as a maiden. Nonetheless, she naturally conceded to love, and at night would signal by torch fire when Leander should swim over to see her. One night, she signaled, a violent storm actually took place, but Leander decided to just swim anyways as he decided his love was worth it. And so he ends up drowning, and as Hero came to the shore, all she saw was Leander's dead body, and as she clasped his corpse, she died of a broken heart. Pretty sad story, also a classic conclusion of Aphrodite causing people to fall in love, is it did not go particularly well. It's... Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Next, we have Nemesis. So Nemesis uh, was is just this like goddess of like thought to be revenge, but really just keeping the balance of things. And so Zeus was trying to sleep with Nemesis, so he turned into a swan and had Aphrodite turn into an eagle to chase him to make it seem plausible for him to jump into Nemesis's lap. And then that's how they possibly produce Helen and Pollux, uh, the children of Leda and Tyndareus. Next, we have Pandareos. So after he died, Aphrodite took care of the daughters, named variously as Camiro and Clytie, or Cleothera and Merope, or Cleothera, Idon, and Merope, and brought them food. Hera gave them wisdom and beauty, Artemis endowed them with elegance, and Athena with manual dexterity. Aphrodite then left them for a bit to ask Zeus to find suitable husbands, but while she had left, the harpies stole them away and gave them as slaves to the Erinyes in the underworld. That's pretty brutal, honestly. Next, we have Pasiphae. She, uh, being Aphrodite, caused Pasiphae to fall in love with the Minotaur and bear the Cretan bull. So I already talked about the story in the past. I won't uh, go into a bunch of depth again, but it was like the cow costume set up so that the Minotaur would sleep with her and then she produced the Cretan bull, which is Heracles' seventh labor. Next, we have Phython. So this Phython is different from the uh, son of Helios and Clymene. He was a son of Aeos and Cephalus, whom Aphrodite carried off to be her shrine steward in Syria because he was just that beautiful. That's like his only notable thing. Um, In some versions, she does produce a child with Aphrodite, which I already noted before, so I'll just move on from here. Next, we have Phaon. He was the citizen of Mytilene who ferried her from Chios to Lesbos without asking for payment. So, she gave him a magic potion which made him super handsome and caused all the women of Lesbos to love him. So much so, Sappho, the famous uh, poet, I guess poetess if you want to make it feminine, even though poets should be a unisex noun, uh, addressed him in some sweet songs. 
Next, we have Pygmalion. So he was this king of Cyprus who could find no mortal women worth marrying. So he carved out a statue of ivory of one and fell in love with it. He would bring her seashells and do all this romantic stuff and pray to Aphrodite during her festival one night to turn it into a real woman, which she did. Out came Galatea, and they had children, including a daughter named Paphos, who we mentioned earlier. Next, we have the story of Pyramus and Thisbe. They, just like Hero and Leander, were the most beautiful youths and maiden in the ancient kingdom of Semiramis in Babylon. Both of their families lived in the same house, but with a wall splitting the two. For some reason, Aphrodite thought she could help them by having them fall in love, but the families did not want it to be a thing. Like, they specifically said they would never have the two families marry. So, after many nights of whispering through a little crack in the wall, they decided they wanted to meet at night at the tomb of King Ninus, husband of Semiramis. Thisbe arrived first, but was scared by a lioness with a bloodied mouth, and as she ran off, her veil dropped and the lion messed with it and tore it. Pyramus, finally arriving, saw the veil, recognizing it, he was, like, thrown to complete despair that he had come late and that, you know, Thisbe got killed. So he kills himself on a sword, and then the blood from his wounds sank into the ground and made the mulberries that were, originally, that were originally white now a deep red. Thisbe then came back to this meeting spot, realized what had happened and why it had happened, and killed herself with the sword and fell on his dead body. And that is the story of, like, why the mulberries are red and, you know, it's because of their blood. So this story is actually the inspiration for Romeo and Juliet, if you didn't put that together. So yeah, just like the ancient version of Romeo and Juliet. Next, we have Solemnus. He was a youth who loved the sea nymph Argyra, who led him on for a long time before growing tired of him and abandoned him. He then died of heartbreak, and Aphrodite turned him into a river in which a, loves per a lovesick person could bathe and be cured of it. Finally, we have Tyndarius. So he, a Spartan king, forgot to honor her in rites once, so she decided his daughters, Byleda, which are Clytemnestra, Helen, and Tamandra, to be unfaithful to all of their husbands. Clytemnestra betrayed Agamemnon, son of Atreus and Iropi, for Aegisthus, son of Thyestes and Pelopia. Helen betrayed Menelaus, brother of Agamemnon, for Paris, son of Priam and Hecuba. Tamandra betrayed Echemus, son of Iropus and king of Arcadia, for Phileus, king of Dulichium and son of Augeas, a famous king we'll talk about in the Heracles stories. With that all said, that is pretty much everything for this episode. Um, that is almost everything on Aphrodite as well. We will have a part two where we will get to talk about her kids and their descendants and really flesh out those stories so we've completed her influence and her impact on like the mythological realm before we then move on next to uh, Apollo, I would assume is the next one. So yeah, I hope it was fun and interesting and educational as always. I hope it was not super overwhelming as there are just so many stories associated with these gods and goddesses. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, you have my email. Uh, but otherwise, I'll see you next time on part two where we talk about Aphrodite and her kids. Take care.